Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. All right, well, welcome. Glad you're here. And uh, big game day today. Uh, so uh, here's the deal. Um, we, uh, we're starting this new series called Send It. And uh, today I want to use sports metaphor, just if you need biblical, biblical justification for it. Paul talked about running the race in such a way as to win the prize. And so he believed in sports as a metaphor. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, uh, so we're going to use that today anyway. And we're talking about uh, this, this send it. And uh, the idea of send it, it comes from Jesus sending his disciples uh, into the world to, to make an impact. And today I want to talk about five things that all great players know, if you allow me to use this sports metaphor. Uh, when I was a kid, I was kind of a jock, and uh, I said that to my wife, telling her about the sermon, and she said, you can't say that anymore. That's not a word they use. You can't use that word. And I said, why? And she said, it's gender exclusive. And I'm like, okay, what should I say? She said, athlete. And I said, well, to call what I did athletic, it's a stretch, okay? So I decided, well, maybe, maybe I should just say I hung around the gym a lot, and that sounded weird. So anyway, let's just say I played a lot of sports, okay? Let's just say that, all right? And playing sports, every sport has its fundamentals. Every sport has its things you learn and, and, and makes some players better than others. And, and, uh, and today, I want you to be a great player in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to give you five things, and they're taken from when Jesus um, began to kind of send the disciples on their way after the resurrection. He, he, uh, before the resurrection, before the cross, he even, he, he was talking to the father in uh, John 17, said, I send them out just as you have sent me, I send them out. And then after the resurrection, he immediately also says to them, um, just as the father sent me, I send you out. And that indicates something. And that's the first thing we're going to talk about is every player knows their assignment. And the game today might very well hinge on whether someone misses an assignment, right? They got a crossing pattern. They get confused who's picking up which receiver. They miss their assignment. Mahomes throws a touchdown, wins the game. It's going to happen. I'm sorry. Um, I don't want it to happen. That's the way it's going to work. Um, Oh, it is. I, you, can, you can say whatever you want, but you just can't, you can't beat them. Anyway, I wish you would lose. But anyway, it's not going to happen. So uh, I can't get much of a rise out of you. you. guys just don't care about football, huh? Is that what it is? Okay, so um, the assignment. So here is what Jesus is doing. Um, he tells them before the cross and the resurrection, um, from the very beginning, Jesus told them what was going to happen. He said, uh, when he first met him, he said, I want you, I want you to follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's the assignment, fishers of men, fishers of men. And, and in other words, I'm going to have you interact with people in your world in such an impactful way, it's going to change their eternal destiny. And um, now the cross comes along, things get upheaval, Jesus dies, buried, resurrection, and now the disciples are a little fuzzy on, is the assignment still the assignment or no, not so much. And so what happens when Jesus comes to them in, in John chapter 20, he says the following. On the evening of the first day of the week, uh, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came, stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What he's saying is, assignment's still on descending thing is still going on. I still want you to be fishers of men. I know you think everything's changed, but it has changed, but for the better. And, and you'll understand why as you go forward. But I want to reestablish this. 
Very next chapter, John 21, he continues this process of recalling or reminding the um, disciples of their calling, and, and he's got one particular guy he needs to get on track to get this thing moving forward. And so uh, we find that in John chapter 21, verses 3 through 15. I'll just read through this and point out a couple of things. Um, I'm going out to fish, as Peter talking to the disciples. I'm going out to fish. Simon and Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your, note, your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him where he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not, they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards when they landed and saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now I'm going to stop and make a note here. Um, two notes. First note is um, Peter had been called to be a fisher of men. But when it all hit the fan, Peter went back to being a fisher of fish. <laughs> because sometimes when the life gets confusing, we kind of put behind us or aside what God has called us to, and we go back to what is familiar. Fishing wasn't a bad thing except for Peter, because Peter was intended for something else. So when he said with the other disciples, he went back to fishing, he went back to his old ways. Very important to understand that because what's going to happen in the next section of the scripture. He went back to his old ways, things that were comfortable, things that were known, things he could do on his own. He didn't need God's help. He didn't aspire to anything greater. This is what my family has always done. This is what I will do. This is what it's about. He went back to that and Jesus is like, nope, that's not it. That's not the thing. And when they arrive on the shore, there is a fire. Now, I'm going I'm to come back to this in a moment. I just want to make a note. The word for the fire here is actually a part of that description is charcoal. Charcoal is different than wood in that it's burnt wood, but it's not completely burnt. If you're going to a third world country, they actually sell big bags of charcoal. People burn wood to a certain degree and then sell it, and then you can go burn it, and it burns quicker and better for like cooking fires. There's only used two times, and this is one of the times, and I'll tell you about the other time in a moment, but it's important to remember to remember that, all right? So now this next section, part of why I believe Scripture is true is because the details that the writers of Scripture use, things that only people who, who understand and were there would include these details. Now listen to this. Uh, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. Now, we all know fishermen's stories. It was this big. But now remember, Peter is a commercial fisherman. That's what he does for a living. That's how he pays his bills. That's how it works. And so when he said they weren't just fish, they were large fish. So he's calculating, you know, for this kind of fish, you get this much. For this kind of fish, you get that much. And they were large fish. And then he goes on, he says, matter of fact, there weren't any large fish. There were 153 large fish. He counted them because he's a fisherman. He probably didn't even think about it. He's probably just counting as he's unloading. He's just, that's what he does because that's, that's who he is, a fisherman. But even with so many, the net was not torn, which is probably the worst thing about fishing, I would suppose, is having to fix the net every day. And then he goes on. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. And the disciples dared ask who who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
So here is Jesus. He is there. He is setting the kind of the, the, the setting for once again telling the um, disciples, you need to get back to your assignment. But there's, a, there's an obstacle here, and it, it is Peter. And so here's the second thing. Great athletes, athletes, great players know the assignment. Great players also know how to deal with failure. Great players know how to deal with failure. So here's one thing that uh, you can guarantee. If someone is a great player, they have failed. They have failed. They've probably failed more than they've succeeded. But they've succeeded more than anybody else. So great players know how to fail. Here's the problem. Here's Peter. Um, Peter is going to be the head of the church. But right now, Peter's not in position. His head isn't clear enough to be the head of the church. He's got some stuff he's got to deal with. And it has to do with failure. So you remember Peter. Uh, Peter just always, you know, just uh, ready, fire, aim kind of guy, right? And Jesus is about to get arrested. He tries to cut a guy's head off, just gets his ear. Uh, Peter's saying, Lord, I'll always be with you. But what did Peter do when Jesus is on trial? He denied Christ three times. Now, here's where that charcoal thing comes in. You know your sense of smell, it's like the strongest memory you have. You ever be in a situation, you're walking down the street, and you smell something, and you go, that smells like my childhood. Like you walk into a certain bakery, and the bread just smells like something you grew up with, or whatever it is, that your olfactory senses are some of the strongest. The only other place charcoal is used in the New Testament is on the fire when the teenage girl questioned Peter, and he denied Christ. So here's Peter now on the shore of the lake, smelling the same smell that he smelled just weeks earlier, and his whole failure is coming back to him. It's all coming back. So here's Jesus. After, after they're done eating, Peter, come here. And Peter's like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to do Can we just kind of act like that didn't happen? I had a bad day, okay? Let's just, you know. But Jesus, no, no, no. Because you need to deal with your failure failure in order to move beyond your failure. So it brings them right back. Same smell, same fire, brutal. It's brutal. But Jesus takes them right back to the moment of his failure. So now we're going to deal with this. Now we're going to come to grips with it. One of the greatest things you can do in life is learn to deal with your failure. And, and by the way, failure is a nice word for it. The real word is sin. We live in a world that doesn't want to acknowledge that we're all sinners. By the way, sin is just anything that I do or that I think that is less than what God created me to be or do or think. It just means to miss the mark, to come up short. The Bible says all have fallen short. All of us have sinned and fallen short. But the problem is we live in a society in which we don't want to own that. We don't want to admit that. I had an interesting conversation on one of the podcasts that goes along with the devotionals. By the way, uh, I encourage you to get the devos and, and to go along with them and listen to the podcasts because they kind of complement each other. And we're really interested to see if you find them interesting or not. They're just our pastors sitting around talking about these issues. In one of the conversations, we begin to talk about how reticent uh, society, people in our current society are to admit sinfulness. Now, I, I think, in, and maybe in my generation, maybe it was just me, I, I, but I think in my generation and older, we kind of were predisposed to acknowledge the truth about ourselves. We kind of, yeah, yeah, I didn't just, you know, we kind of, we, we oftentimes would ignore it, but we at least, one of the things that younger generations are talking about is that people have not been inculcated with or taught true right from wrong and are starting to believe that whatever they feel, whatever they want to do in a given moment is Right? 
And so then to demand someone to become a Christian by kneeling down and admitting their wrongness, their brokenness, their sinfulness, their selfishness, failures, to do that is a pretty big barrier for human, modern humans. But it's silly to not be able to do that. To try to claim that you haven't messed up in your life, it's just absurd. You probably messed up between the car and the front door here. That's who we are. We're fallen people. We mess up. The question isn't whether you mess up or not. That's, that's silly. A lot of people, no, I don't mess up. I don't need a Savior. Yeah, you do. You need forgiven. We all do. Let's just acknowledge that. And now the question becomes, what do we do about our fallenness, our failures, our sinfulness? What do we do? And what Jesus is teaching Peter in this moment is what do you do? You face them, you have them forgiven, and you move forward. See, one of the greatest things we can learn as players in the kingdom is this word called repentance. Repentance means I'm going one way, I realize I'm wrong, I'm living according to my urges and not God's plan or whatever, and I say, oh, I am sorry, God, I am sorry, I'm going to repent and go the way you want me to go, that's what it means. By the way, if you don't think this helps deal with failure, tennis players, one of the greatest things tennis players will learn, great tennis players learn, is that whatever happened on the last point, it doesn't matter. And if you watch, a lot of tennis players do this. They'll finish a point, and especially if they blew it, they'll go back to the wall, courts out here, they'll go back here, and they just stand there for a moment. Well, they're doing a breathing exercise to get their wind back, but they're also putting that last play behind. They're not evaluating, they're not going to think about it anymore, they're not going to carry it into the next play. They leave it here, they turn around, and they come back, and they take the next play because they can't live in that anymore, just like you can't live in your failures of the past anymore either. But it's not enough to just say, I walk away. What you need is someone who will forgive you, take that sin, that failure, throw it away, and free you to go forward. That's what Jesus was doing with Peter. You see, maybe later you look at the tapes and you see how you missed the play or your wrong shot placement, whatever it might be. But in that moment, you need to go forward. One of the things we learn is that in Jesus, we can learn from our failures, we can learn from our sins, we can learn from our past, but we don't have to live in them. If you have messed up, and you have, and so have I, all we've got to do is take them to Jesus, sincerely sorry, and say, I am sorry, please take this. And it's his. Now, if you're like me, you want to leave the sins there, but you oftentimes forget to grab the forgiveness as you leave. And so you have to come back with the sins again until you say, oh, no, I am forgiven. He's forgotten this. I'm going to take the forgiveness, and I'm going to go forward. Okay, that's nice. What does that have to do with anything? I've met parents before who won't correct little Johnny who's becoming a teenager because they messed up when they were that age. How can I tell him not to do that when I used to smoke the same stuff when I was his age? Because you're a grown-up? Because you have responsibility, and it's none of Johnny's business what you did when you were his age. You know what is better. Enforce it. Put it there. Don't do it in a self-righteous way. Just do what is best for that child, and quit letting your guilt guide you and ruin your children. <laughs> Can I tell you that unless you learn to repent, you're never going to have a decent relationship in your life. You know, powerful, the most powerful thing you can do? Honey, little Susie, daddy, sorry. I, I was in a bad mood. There was traffic on the freeway, and I shouldn't have reacted that way when I came home. Daddy, daddy didn't react right. I am sorry. Can you forgive me? I'll tell you what, that's kind of powerful. If you mean it, and you don't do it every day, because you've got to stop messing up at some point, but, <laughs> right? 
You see, this idea of coming to grips with our failure is one of the most powerful things we have. Kneeling before God and saying, this is the truth about me. I messed up. Please forgive me. And receiving that forgiveness and getting up from that place of prayer and going forward differently, able to follow him. That's what dealing with failure is about. Not denying its existence, learning what to do with it. Here's how mean Jesus is. He didn't just make him deal with failure. He made him deal with failure. Three of them. Because he denied Jesus three times. One of the most powerful things you can learn to do in prayer time is not just repent, but repent specifically. Well, Lord, I kind of fudged on that one. No, no, I lied. I outright lied. Because saying fudge doesn't feel so bad if you have to say it every other day. Lied is a lot less comfortable. That's the truth about me. I didn't fudge. I lied. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, that's got to go. So let me read this passage for you. So here it is. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, uh, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, and so here, here is um, Peter. We're going to deal with this. Yes, Lord, uh, you know I love you. Again, Jesus said, by the way, before we get to the same thing, his response to Peter's response is the next point. I'm going to save it. I'm not going to talk about that. But I am going to talk about it for a moment. But three times he asked him. Why did he ask him three times? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because he denied him three times. He wanted him to realize that for every single sin, there was forgiveness. There was nothing going to be left under the carpet, nothing left to fester. He was going to be free to become the, 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 the early um, head of the church, and he wanted him to experience forgiveness. Great players, they know their assignment, they know how to deal with failure, and great players know the fundamentals. They practice the fundamentals. If you're playing basketball, learn to dribble with your left hand. Um, keep the ball moving. If you're football, um, I don't know, hit them in the numbers. Are we still allowed to do that? Mask right in the numbers. That's how I was taught to play football. Um, uh, if baseball, get in front of the ball. Even if it hits you in the face, I heard that can happen. Um, <laughs> golf, keep your head down. Don't throw clubs. Stuff like that. Um, what, what are the fundamentals? What are the fundamentals of being a player in the kingdom? What does he say to Peter? He says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. What? Feed my sheep. See, now he's brought them full circle. Fishers of men. Right back over here. Now, if you love me, get back on assignment. Get back to being who I made you to be so you can impact the world I in- I intend you, the way I intended you to do it. Feed my sheep. Here's the deal. Somebody says, well, me and, me and God, we're good. I don't know about God's people. I don't really go to church. Well, then you're not reading scripture because it's not you and God. It's you and God and God's people. You need God's people. You need them for what they can do for you. And more importantly, you need them for what you can do for them. If Jesus has forgiven me, what does the Bible say that we're to do for one another? Forgive one another's sins. As Jesus has forgiven me, I have to forgive you. I don't become like Jesus if I don't. If I just keep taking and there's no flow through, that, that's called Stagnation. Is it with one another's? Forgive each other's sins. Bear one another's burdens. Why? Because that's what Jesus does for us. That's the fundamental. The fundamental is loving, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the fundamental. So he says to Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Good, then love my people. That's the way I'll know. But do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Care for my lambs. Three times he does that. And he's saying that's the fundamental. You want to know how your Christian faith is? 
I don't know, we all kind of, did I watch anything I shouldn't? Did I say any bad words? Just look around and see if you're actually loving anybody. That's how the world's supposed to know that we're Christians because of the way we love each other. So let's, let's start there. Bad words aren't great, you know? Bad thoughts aren't great. Loving each other, that's a pretty good measure, though. Look around, am I loving anybody? Is there anybody in my world that I'm loving that I'm maybe not attracted to, drawn to as a person, but because he loved me, I will love them. That's the fundamentals of faith. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And then, fourthly, um, great players trust the coach's game plan. Everybody had a, anybody ever had a bad coach? No? Every one of mine were bad. I don't know what that's about. Some common denominator there. Anybody had a good coach? A really good coach. I used this illustration last night, and I, and I kind of said, I don't remember having very many good coaches, to be honest with you. And, and afterwards, a guy came up to me, a big, hulking guy, and he said, uh, he said, now, coaching, does that include, like, uh, personal trainers and stuff? Do you never had a good one? And I'm like, well, I'm, 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 I'm. and then I realized who he was. I mean, I obviously don't have a personal trainer right now, but about 15 years ago, I had this big dude that was training me, and it was him. I've been seeing him, like, 20 years. He showed up at church last night. And he wants to meet <laughs> this week. And all God's people need to pray. Just pray. John 21 says this in verse 18. This is an amazing thing. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. So many of us want to second guess our coaches. I've, I've had this weird thing the last few weeks, yeah, maybe months. I, I, had, I, I, I didn't have my whole plan marked up, but I kind of had some ideas, you know. And I know I'm supposed to be here, and I know things I was supposed to do for the next couple of years, but long term, I had some ideas, some thoughts, some things I was playing with, kind of had it, you know, just playing with it out there, out there. And all of a sudden, boom, just gone. Just the opportunity is gone. And I'm like, well, God, they're yours and it's okay, but it really wasn't okay. Kind of, mm, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of, mm, I didn't like it because it was my plans and I had them laid out. And even though I got it, your plans are more important. Evidently, they weren't quite as much more important as I thought. And so there's this point in my life and about a few different areas where my long-term thoughts are like, I don't know. I'm going to have to trust God. Now, I've been saying I was able to do that all along, but now that I really have to, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I, but I love trusting you when it's where I want to go. And God's going, I'm not even going to let you know where you're going. I'm not even going to give you a hint. You just need to trust me. Here's what happens with Peter. Jesus says, Yeah. You're going you're gonna to sign up, you're going to follow me, and you're going to die. You're going to die as a martyr. And I want you to sign up anyway. See, one of the questions Jesus asked Peter was, do you love me more than these? The, do you love me more than these is a the question that Jesus asked every one of us. And by the way, what he was asking him was, do you love me more than these? Not these guys, these apostles, not these guys, and not these smelly fish, but these self provisioning, self-directing, selfish ideas of what your life should be about. Do you love Jesus? Do you love me more than you love those? Jesus asked Peter that. He asked you that, and he asked me that. And that's what he's asking me right now in my own life. 
Do you love me more than these nebulous kind of fuzzy plans you had out here? Do you love me more? And now he's saying, do you love me enough to put it all on the line? You know the cliche, leave it all in the field? This is the ultimate version of that right here. That's how much you need to love me. If your life is going to be everything I intended it to be, and I always want what is best for you. So well, how can that be? He's a martyr. Yeah, but life is this much. Eternity is forever. God has so much more. That's a hard one. Players always trust the, the game plan. Trust the game plan. They run the play. Let the outcomes be what God says they are. And lastly, great players have the ability to focus on the task at hand. Great players have the ability to focus on the task at hand. This is great. I love this section here. Right after this, here Jesus says, you're going to die. He tells him this brutal truth. You're going to die, and I want you to follow me anyway. And here's Peter. Yeah, okay, okay, I'm good, I'm good. But what about him? Peter, keep your, <laughs> keep your focus here. He just told you you're going to die. You in for that or not? Oh, no, I'm in for that. But what about him? What about John? What's going to happen with him? Is he going to die too? And Jesus says, whatever happens to John is up to me. That's my business, not yours. You just do the play I called. So I was, one time I was, in, uh, I was in Jerusalem, and I was, there's an open market. We go there when we take gr- groups there. And there's this fishmonger that I saw, and he's a big dude. He was, I mean, he was big. He was, he was like, like really wide. I mean, big and just gruff. And, just, and he was selling fish. And it's almost like all he had was fast twitch muscles. Okay, we're going to do the fish, and then we're going to sell them, and then we're going to throw them, and we're going to cut them, and we're going to do it. And it was just a bull in a china closet, and he's throwing fish, and he's talking, and he's making noise. And, and I went, that's Peter. I bet, I bet that's what Peter looked like. That guy right there. He was like a ready-fire-aim guy. You know, he was one of those guys. And here's Peter. Sure, I'll die for you. No problem. What about John? What about John? What about Joe? But what about John? Whatever. Peter. By the way, I once... Um, I was friends with someone who was very close to an NBA player. NBA player struggled with ADHD so badly that he would leave the huddle and forget to play by the time he got to center court. Some of us live our lives that way. We, we, we read God's word, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, be faithful to your wife, don't lust, greed's not good. Read that, and then by the time we get in the game, we've completely forgot. Never years ago, I'm from Chicago. We have sports there. We don't win, but sometimes we lose less badly. And there was a big game, Chicago Cubs, big game. Ball hit down the sidelines. It was foul, but it was going to be caught for an out. Game winner, big deal. Fan, at the last minute, grabs it. Robs his own team of the team. Anybody remember this? They had to escort the guy out and keep him in hiding for weeks. There were people threatening him, even people from California. It was weird. <laughs> we're threatening him. And I felt bad for this kid, but his head wasn't in the game. His head clearly wasn't in the game, and it cost us. Men, husbands, we were on that business trip. You're feeling kind of lonely because it's the third week in a row. And that opportunity presents itself. Keep your head in the game. Remember why you're here. You're here because you're called. You're called to love God and love your neighbor. And your closest neighbor is your wife. And then your kids. Keep your head in the game. 
people, the next time you're watching the news, and they've done all they can to get you riled up and angry and angry at those people, those other people over there. Keep your head in the game. The game is about loving God and loving your neighbor, not winning some political contest. Keep your head in the game. The next time your son wants to play catch and you need to finish that spreadsheet, but you've said no the last three nights in a row, get your head in the game. 20 years from now, you won't remember those spreadsheets, but your son will remember that you had time to play catch every night after dinner. Get your head in the game. See, there's so many distractions. There's so many things that could call our attention that could just take us away. But you are called. You see, that's what this is about. You have an assignment. You are called. God intends you to be someone, someone who loves him and loves others in such a unique way that you touch people's lives that nobody else is going to touch because where God has put you and who he surrounded you with and the gifts he's given you. Get your head in the game. It's the greatest game in the world. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose today. By next year, we won't even remember who was in the Super Bowl probably. But I'll tell you what I'm living for. I'm not living to get a ring, maybe a crown, not a trophy, but I'd love to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'd love to have somebody come to me in heaven and say, Doyle, Doyle, come here, you gotta get you meet Susie. You've never met Susie before, but her grandmother went to your church and the, the chains of family dysfunction were broken in her grandmother's life. And because of that, Susie is here. And by the way, there's her mom and there's her grandma. You probably remember her grandma. You see, I wanna hear that. There is nothing in there. There's no acquisition. There's no achievement. There's no award. There's no trophy that will measure up to knowing that I had some small part in someone spending eternity in heaven. That's the game. That's the one that matters. Everything else is fine. It's something else. It's something less. That's the one. You want to be a great player? Make sure you're playing the right game. Make sure you got the right assignment. Realize, yeah, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna fail every now and again, but you can repent and you can get back in the game, and you just run the play, whatever play God's put before you, run it, and in the end, I believe that God is going to do amazing things in your life, in my life. We'll finish well. We'll see that God is faithful, and we will know that our life counted for something incredible. Let's pray. Lord God, today I, I love this sports analogy. But Lord, there is nothing, there is no thrill, there is no gain, there is no competition that compares to helping someone find their own calling in you. To be reconciled to you and to understand why they were created the way they were created, that they have gifts, abilities, and yes, even experiences that help them be unique to be important, to be incredibly significant in someone's life. Someone needs to hear them, needs to see them, needs to know them. So today, Lord God, I ask that you help us get in it and get in the game. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you guys so much for being here. We have some real, the guys got up early, made some smoked pork sandwiches. Stop by and get those because you're probably not going to eat the rest of the day. So stop by. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday morning. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.